Welcome to another edition of the Weekden Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and passing the ball has always been a priority of his game. It's my other co-host, it's John Kraft. How's it going, John? Kudos to me is all I have to say about that. Kudos to me. <laughs> the Grizzlies are at 25 and 13, second in the conference, fourth in the NBA, offensive rating at 113.8. That's good for 11th. It's been hovering around that 113 number for a long stretch here. Defensive rating, however, 109, which is officially first in the NBA as of NBA, or according to NBA.com. Net rating at 4.8, which is second in the league. And then point differential, according to Cleaning the Glass, is at a 6.1. So that steadily is increasing. It's still at second in the league, right behind Boston. And so it's been a good week for the Grizzlies. We're going to unpack it all shortly. And we also have some other fun topics to dive into. But first, we are going to start with the news. John, you want to get us started there? Yeah. So the first sort of news item is sort of a sort of a troubling item that came out at the beginning of this week uh, that sort of uh, you never want a Grizzly on TMZ Sports. But uh, news came out that John Morant is being sued after allegedly punching a teen in a pickup game at his house, uh, you know, um, that basically it sounds like, you know, that I, I know jaw has a lot of people over his, his backyard to play pickup games. Um, a lot of kind of maybe AAU players, other recruits. Um, I, we don't know who this player is, but, um, but obviously it's never a good look, uh, to show up. It does sound like, you know, there was no arrest made, um, this does seem like a civil suit, so I, I lean toward it not being a big deal, but I don't know what you think about it, Will. I think that when I saw the headline and some of the, the phrasing in there was attack, it said like attacked a minor, that's when I knew, okay, this is complete lawyer talk, and when you read the story, it was trying to get clicks, and you, when you read the story, you realized this was just a routine scuffle you people forget yes the the kid quote unquote was 17 years old but you forget just how young ja still is there's only what a five year difference between this kid and ja it's basically uh between peers now of course when you get into the legal side of things you 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 don't want a story like this bubbling up about especially a player as important as Jaw. So I'm not saying that Jaw is completely innocent in this, but it was confirmed it's not going to be a criminal case. There aren't going to be those type of charges pressed, but it will probably go to a civil suit. My guess is whoever this was by legal uh, recommendation was tr is trying to uh, probably get a few bucks for, for something that I believe will simply be out of the news cycle in the coming days unless we learn new information which of course we reserve the right to change our opinions if new information yes. does present itself but overall when you read the actual story to me it reads as somebody who if this was not john morant then a a suit like this probably wouldn't have even been considered it's basically just because john morant is in the station that he's in that this is something that popped up so yeah. i am not worried at all about this suit yeah and i think and i mean it also i mean the it does feel like sort of uh one of those you know again trying to again we we can change our minds if more information comes out but it does seem like have the feel of a frivolous lawsuit i mean the the timing isn't even good i mean this was probably the 
um, with all the news happening in the NFL and the playoffs uh, coming up and just uh, all the things happening, it's probably the worst time to release something like this because it really got very little play. In fact, probably most of the people listening to this had no idea even it even happened. But um, so, so I, I'm hoping that this is a story that we don't talk about again. So that's that, and that's my belief that that's going to be the case. Agree. We had a few news items that we deemed notable that all happened on January 5th. For one, Brandon Clark missed his third straight game with hip soreness. Now, his game is so dependent on athleticism. Mm -hmm. I will say this is slightly concerning for me. Um, You know, soreness, that word can can mean, I feel like, a, a broad range of things. Now, if it's enough to keep him out, you know the Grizzlies are playing well enough to where no. it's it's not something that is is completely affecting wins and losses, especially against a light schedule right now. So if you're going to have a stretch of games that you're going to miss as a, a, a bench player like Brandon Clark, as important as he is, then this is the stretch to do it. But I think it's notable that yeah. hopefully we see him back soon. But this is something that could be lingering moving forward yeah. if not treated correctly. Well, I do think that that's. I mean, the hope is. Uh, Brandon is definitely a player who it feels like struggles to play through injury. You know, I mean, that's because of his athleticism, but he's just somebody who, when he's not a hundred percent, it's, it's almost worth just keeping him out of the, the game. It seems like. And so in that sense, I hope we do leave him out, especially going through the schedule we're going through right now, uh, until he's fully healthy. But that just seems to be with him. He's just never going to be as effective if he's not fully healthy. And it's, it is weird. There's like a plague of hip soreness going around the league. A bunch of players went out with hip soreness the last couple of days. So I just think, you know, a lot of, a lot of bodies falling, hitting, hitting the ground hard. So uh, the next news item uh, and this is kind of one of the big interesting narrative items, which is the first round of all-star voting was released. And uh, maybe a little surprising to some, a little surprising to me, that John Morant, not that he was the third-ranked guard in the Western Conference, because in a conference with Luca and Steph, uh, that's, that's going to always be a consideration. But the fact that he was just 17th in voting overall, which felt like a uh, – I, I didn't – I didn't necessarily look at the numbers, but I believe that was a little bit worse than where he was this time last year going in. And some of that is the injuries and other things that were happening to other players. But um, but third in Western Conference, all-star voting. Uh, so basically that one, one spot removed from being a starter. Uh, but then 17th overall. So what do you now, think about that? Do you think that was – was that lower than expected? How do you feel about it? I think it was overall based on what we've been hearing in the last year about Jaws' impact on, for instance, social media. I also think one of the things to remember is fan voting is half of the equation. There are other considerations like uh, player and then media to take into account and coach as well. So I think don't, don't worry if he isn't quite as high in the fan voting because he will hopefully get the respect of of media members as well as the actual folks playing and coaching in the league. Now, it also could be a wake-up call for Grizz Nation to get out there and vote. (laughs) I think, however, you're seeing the typical results from the largest markets. So, for instance, Austin Reeves showing up on this list, Jordan Poole showing up on this list. You're seeing uh, some Lakers, some Knicks, some Warriors, 
the usual sp- suspects at the top. To yeah. me, the most surprising result was Kyrie Irving. Yeah, showing up so far up that at the very top of the Eastern. Yeah, the number guard one guard. board. <laughs> it shows you maybe the disconnect between the uh, the mass public and those yeah. who are. Uh, maybe talking into microphones on, on podcasts that are members of the media there. So interesting yeah. results. Yeah, a couple a couple of things that jumped out to me that, like you said, I mean, I think Kyrie and Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell has had a really good last couple of weeks, obviously scoring 71 points. Uh, but those two being the top starting guards in the East uh, makes me – is a reminder how good the West guards are compared to the East guards. And then the opposite is the case with the East forwards and the West forwards. Obviously I think the whole starting five of the West is awesome, but just that the East uh, is very forward heavy and, uh, and, and the guard is a lot, is it's a little easier to make the all-star team as a guard in the East. So that was one thing that jumped out at me. And the other thing was, was honestly looking at kind of the depth and realizing that, like you said, a lot of the, the people who are not going to get the starting votes are sort of usual suspects, uh, but which made me actually begin to ponder if Jaron Jackson Jr. might actually have a chance because since, since coaches do a lot of the reserve voting, if Jaron might actually get a chance to sneak in in the East with, uh, with these injuries – to to Zion to Anthony Davis if they're not back in time so that was that's one little other little thing is that I never thought that Jaron with his uh, with being injured the first you know month of the season would have a chance but looking around the forwards and looking at just the unbelievable we'll talk about this more later the unbelievable numbers Jaron has and the fact that I think coaches care about defense way more than fans uh, I'll be interested to see that but I do think that. Uh, I think it is a little more of a wake-up call. I do think the casual fan probably is still interested in football, still thinking about other things. Uh, I think this was kind of like a combination of the NBA diehards, uh, the big markets, and even maybe some of the NBA hipsters out there uh, voting. And so I actually think Jaw has a good chance. I don't know if he's going to be able to catch Curry and Luka, uh, but I, do, I think he has a good chance to move up in that overall uh, vote total. One other subplot worth mentioning Grizzlies are very close to the top of the standings, which means we could have a chance mm-hmm. to see Taylor Jenkins yep. coaching one of the all-star teams. And so keep it, keep that in mind. If anything, I, I know that Jaw is just going to be a perennial all-star from here into the end of time, but seeing Taylor Jenkins as the coach on the sideline would really, I think, be a great yeah. story for the Grizzlies, especially since Bain missed out on this round due to injury because Bain also was training. I mean, it shows you the depth of guards in the West too, because Bain still, I think would have had an uphill battle to fight with Damian Lillard playing so well, SGA, uh, Devin Booker, even I know Devin Booker has an injury, so that doesn't factor as much, but just very, very deep. But but that is, I mean, but it it really is when it comes to, I think all-star reserves, the record really does make an impact because when you, if, if, for instance, if the Grizzlies, as we get closer to the all-star game, if the Grizzlies are the first team in the West, I think only having one all-star, people will feel that and be like, oh, the Grizzlies are the one team in the West. They should have more than one all-star on their team. That, that's sort of the sentiment. That's why I think I actually first time was like, oh, you know what? Jaron might sneak in, especially if Zion, Anthony Davis, if we have some injuries and, and need some replacements. So, I'd still love to see Bain in that three-point shooting contest for, yes. for years to come as well. That'd be a yes. lot of fun. I don't know if, if he'll, for sure. he'll be interested this year. I'm sure he will in, he'll be interested. I don't know if the – 
whoever committee that decides that right. would, would invite him. But I think he should be invited despite a tough shooting slump here recently. Okay, last news item, 538, the famous website who deals with a ton of statistics in both politics and sports, has the Grizzlies as the new title favorite. 31% Crazy. chance, they say, to make the finals, and 18.1% chance to win the finals. That is 0.1 percentage higher than Boston, who has been sitting there at the top for the whole season. Now, I don't want to get too wrapped up into this because right. the Grizzlies still haven't won anything, but I, I would venture to say this is the first time in Grizzlies history that 538 or a site that's you know as renowned as, as, as this one would have the Grizzlies as title favorites. And then there's also another consideration, which is this is this is both this is taking into account everything. So injuries, they they really do. If you look, read into what they use as their metrics, it's not as if it's it's a um, lacking statistical platform. Right. They they really do take into account most things on a night to night basis and adjust their statistics accordingly. So anyway, great. Yeah. Great news for the Grizzlies in that respect because it means that our eye test is correct. The Grizzlies are very good. Yeah, and it's it's also always interesting to me as far as you know, sort of public teams because you know Vegas. We are still we are definitely not the number one uh, favorite in Vegas. I think we're eighth. Uh, yeah, so eighth in Vegas, but number one in computers. Uh, that that normally that kind of. Uh, Difference is not normally there. <laughs> normally, it's much closer because you know, as Vegas is much more data driven than it used to be. But that just shows, uh, I think, uh, kind of what the data says versus sort of you know, casual fan, public fan uh, feelings about the team. Totally. So get your bets in right now is what Kraft is saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's jump into the games. We had two extremely professional wins, one in Charlotte against the Hornets, 131 yeah. to 107. And the next night in Orlando, defeating the Magic, 123 to 115. That one got slightly closer by the end, but I will yeah. say it was never A little in less doubt. professional. A little less quarter. professional, but at the same time, <laughs> not as much in doubt uh, because no. these were two struggling teams. Kraft, mm. where do we want to start? Maybe, maybe in Charlotte? Yeah, so we can start in Charlotte and just kind of like big picture. I do want to say, I mean, we talk about professional wins, but but I'll say as, as you know, we watched the Grizzlies lose to the Thunder. We watched the Grizzlies lose to a very injured, reeling T Wolves team. We 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 uh, you personally watched them lose to a Suns team uh, at home that that was missing some players. And so uh, I'll say, you know, looking around the league, like the Bucks just like got gave up 150 points to the Thunder, uh, you know, gave up like 80-something points in the first half to this Charlotte team that we uh, humiliated two days ago. And so I do want to say that uh, there is something to celebrate uh, because I think you can get in – man, Charlotte is terrible. Like this is like a preseason game, and that's the way it felt most of the game. Uh, but the fact of the matter is they went out two days later and and put it on, you know, a team that I think is going to win the title – and so just to say that, like, it is a professional win when you go in and take care of business against a good team. And that's really – the Hornets game, it felt like a – we came out in the first half and established we're way better than you, you have no chance, and kind of almost demoralized the Hornets. I felt like it, – it felt like a preseason game. It felt like a game uh, that the Hornets were ready – at halftime, Hornets would have gladly just gone home. Yep, we scored 76 points in the first half, which is most in any half this season. So 
the last two games especially helping our offensive rating a bit, you would think. Uh, one of the highlights of the game to me, and this was making the rounds on social media, was Ja burning 30 seconds <laughs> yes. by his trick of after a made basket, just rolling the ball down the floor. The ball actually stopped in the backcourt with the shot clock off and the game clock, clock just rolling in the third quarter before finally Charlotte sent somebody. To the, I think he would have stood there the rest yeah. of the quarter if they had yeah. let him. But that was a really funny moment. Another small thing that I noticed, Dylan Brooks, I mean, he played an excellent game defensively and was very efficient on offense. But his he has had his second tech drawn from an opponent who was standing over him, taunting him. So it's like no. the Clay Thompson thing on Christmas, and then he had Dennis Smith Jr. out of all people taunting yeah. Dylan. Dylan, so it shows Dylan gets under people's skin no matter who it is, no matter what player. Yep. And the second thing that I really liked is that Dylan didn't react really in mm-hmm. either case. He sort of laughed it off in the in the case of Dennis Smith Jr. and just stepped right up, took the technical free throws, and was fine. So one of the things I yeah. want to just you know give a Dylan, yeah. Dylan a shout-out for is – he has a reputation, and yet he doesn't respond in a way that yeah. would be concerning. Yeah, so that's that's Dylan as best. I mean, you know, oftentimes he can get the double technicals going with the other guy, and 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 that kind of that brings some intensity and some fun too. But but the best is when Dylan's getting other guys uh, to have technicals. Um, or like, or weird, or weird fouls like Chris Middleton earlier in the year when he's just kind of he's doing his thing, um, but has the other uh, players completely out of whack. And so I feel like honestly that game there was like two or three technicals by Hornets players that I feel like uh, were either directly related to Dylan or Dylan adjacent. So it was it was a classic Dylan game in that sense. And that's the kind of stuff that does make a team just be like at halftime, just like we don't we don't want to deal with this. Like it's yeah. just not worth it. 100%. So it's fine, and I and I'll say, I mean, this and maybe this, I guess, this is a hot take. I'm shocked by this, uh, but this is the this complaining about the about Jaws rolling the ball as some kind of plague. No, no, no. You're complaining is the plague. Like this is this is basketball. Um, first of all, going back to my roots, like high school basketball, no shot clocks. This is all the time teams like get up by six and just hold the ball. Like this stuff happens. But but the biggest thing for me is that people complain about wasting time and stuff. Well, one, this happens the other way too. Like oftentimes people will roll the ball to get to have a longer shot clock in the half court, and so you're getting actually more basketball action you're getting actually 24 seconds of offense being run as opposed to 12 seconds of dribbling around, you know, slow dribbling up the half court. But also just at the end of the day, this is a strategy, and there's nothing wrong with forcing teams to come up and guard you full court, increasing the speed and the pace of the game. Uh, you know, and also at the same time in a game like this game, <laughs> nobody was complaining about Todd running off the clock of this one. So I, I don't understand, you know, Nate Duncan – uh, I think Kevin O'Connor, all these guys that are out there complaining like we need some kind of rule change or um, you, you, you want to plague having the refs trying to figure out uh, with five seconds and eight second calls when the ball was inbounds and like doing their own clock stuff. I, I just think this is not an issue. Just have people come up and guard. I mean, it's I don't understand why people are complaining about it. I think it's great. Um, and I think it, it helps the game in multiple ways, too. So I just don't understand it. Couldn't agree more. Uh, one thing I wanted to note, I I was looking up how many minutes our starters have played because Bain is still making his way back from injury. Notably, he didn't play in the second night of a back-to-back against Orlando. Still looks like he's mm. 
maybe recovering there. But Morant, Bain, Dylan, Jaron, and Adams have only played 61 total minutes this season. And I looked up the top three in each conference to see their presumptive starters, how many minutes they've played. So you look at Denver, who's t- t- uh, currently one in the Western Conference. Their starters, and they've had some injuries with Michael Porter, so they've slotted in Bruce Brown. But if you look at Murray, Jokic, KCB, and Aaron Gordon with Michael Porter Jr., it's 284 minutes. If you look at them with Bruce Brown, it's 286. So both iterations, yeah. starting lineup, and I, and, both I, played. and I think some people could argue they might be better with Brown than Porter, it, oh. just for defensive reasons, honestly. I, he torched the Grizzlies, so I would agree yeah. there. Uh, yeah. New Orleans, who's behind Memphis, CJ, Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. Ingram has missed a ton of this season, and yet those five starters have played 113, almost double the amount of minutes that the Grizzlies starters have played. You look in right. the East conference with Boston you have Smart Brown Tatum Derek White and Al Horford 266 minutes for those starters Brooklyn Kyrie KD Royce O'Neal Ben Simmons Nick Claxton Nick Claxton 240 you look at Cleveland with Mitchell Garland Mobley Allen and Levert 146 the only ones who have an argument with the Grizzlies are is Milwaukee who Chris Middleton has been battling an injury the basically the whole season came back for uh, uh, about a week or two of games and they've played their starters have played 42 together, no. uh, which Holiday, Allen, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez are their starters. So really, the Grizzlies and the Bucks are, to me, the, the two that you have to look at and say they haven't even been able to play no. their yeah. best five for right. a material amount of minutes. And yet, you look at the records specifically of the Grizzlies, and it just makes yeah. it even even crazier. Yeah, and and you know, and and again, like I, I I'm I'm the complainer, but you know, everybody talks about the Pell's injuries all the time, and I get it because obviously Ingram and Zion are their two, uh, the two players that pop the most, and when people look at us, they just see that Jaw's playing, uh, and just assume that stuff. But um, but you know, uh, all all of us have been dealing with injuries, and none of us have been able to be at our best for an extended period of time, for sure. Uh, yeah, a couple more uh, things emptying the notebook. Yeah. Bain had a career high, 11 rebounds. Yes. Uh, so props to him for that. Ad- Steven Adams had the lowest field goal percentage among the starting <laughs> lineup, which how often yeah. is that going to happen? I know. That was like, it was like uh, the rare, like, you know, just all of our starters played really well. This was one of those exactly. Games. And then so, the last uh, thing I wanted to mention here. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say one thing just, you know, and maybe to give it, if you're going to do a positive one, I'll do a negative one real quick. I mean, one, you know, and we talk about the shooting and we're maybe talk about more of the shooting as we go along. Um, You know, once again, we destroyed the Hornets uh, and still only shot nine of 30 from three. And in fact, like frustratingly missed, I mean, basically practice warm up three point shooter, three point shots, how open we were. And once again, we were 28 of 37 from a three throw line, which isn't terrible because it's actually like 75, 76%, but just like leaving probably, you know, of those 21 threes, probably 15 of them being wide open. And then obviously nine free throws missed. I mean, this, I just it's amazing how we're blowing these teams out and still not it's has nothing to do with shot variance and having these great shooting games. Agreed. Uh one maybe the biggest notable item in regards to the bench was David Roddy getting the nod over Zaire Williams. Now mm. Zaire of course I think I mean he's still dealt with some soreness, hasn't played in every single game since he's been back, but I thought that was notable and it's Nicely paired with this Magic game where Zaire yes. came off the bench and finally had a good shooting night. 
But even mm-hmm. then, Roddy played 17 minutes against Orlando and Zaire only 14. So you're yeah. seeing, at some level, performance does matter. It's not only about slotting guys in order of development timeline. You're, you're seeing that Jenkins is forced to play a guy like David Roddy above Zaire when Zaire can't, can't quite get it going. On yeah. on the, especially the offensive side of the ball, so I was very happy to see Williams play well in that second game. Yeah. But even then, Roddy, it's, it's something to something watch. To watch, yeah, yes. for sure. And and it does sound, you know, I mean, that's one thing, you know. Uh, uh, Jenkins has a lot of different phrases he uses a lot, but one thing he really uses is physicality, and he says that all the time. And usually after losses, he'll say, you know, we lacked physicality. Uh, or at half, you know, like, oh, what happened? We were down at half, but then we won. Oh, you know, well, we just had to be more physical. Uh, that, that I think that is something where Jenkins, you know, again, we, we forget because Roddy's a rookie, but Roddy's a lot older than Zaire. Uh, I do think that there's an aspect to where when Zaire is struggling offensively, that the kind of physical nature, Roddy just being bigger and more physical is something that I think Jenkins favors, honestly. And I think, but it is interesting to watch that to see if if that was a blip or if that was actually you know a trend uh, of Roddy being above Zaire in the rotation for sure. Yeah, one other note with Brandon being out the last three games, Xavier Tillman has stepped up and taken advantage of an opportunity. Uh, in the in the famous words of Tony Allen, "Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready." I think Xavier Tillman with logging these G League minutes has kept him himself loose and it, it's really shown in the last couple of games how valuable he can be mm-hmm. coming in and playing, you know, fifteen to seventeen minutes a game, getting rebounds, getting putbacks, had positive or positive plus minus in both these games, which it would have been hard not to given the opponents, but still I think yeah. it's notable how the depth of the Grizzlies in a regular season scenario have played to their advantage, especially yeah. this week. Yeah, and I just, I mean, and again, we talked about it earlier on the podcast. It was actually interesting. I think some other local media people talked about it the last couple days, uh, but we talked about it three, four weeks ago, uh, just about the culture and just Tillman is a, you know, I just think why, why do, when we look at the success of the Grizzlies, a lot of it is these guys, 11 to 15 on the bench that aren't in the rotation, but just their attitudes, the way that they are willing, you know, they're not going to cause trouble that they're not playing. They're willing to go down to the G league as a third year player, fourth year player, um, just to get some reps. And so I'm, I'm, I was excited for Tillman. and I'm glad he's had uh, some really good games. And I kind of, honestly, it's just more thought to me. It's like uh, that Jaron, uh, there, if you're a good forward and you get to play with Jaron, you're gonna. It's gonna be. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> Perfect segue. Yes. I think it's time. I think it's yep. time to talk about Jaron Jackson. He had a great game in Charlotte, three blocks, but his his coming out party, I would say, for the season mm-hmm. is officially this Orlando game, especially from a from an offensive standpoint. Thirty one points, ten rebounds, three blocks again was all over the floor yep. and. This this caused me to go on sort of a deep dive of, of block percentage. And when you look up block percentage according to cleaning of the glass cleaning the glass, Jaron is leading the league at five point eight percent. And that means just the percentage of opponent shots that he is blocking when he is on the floor. And when you look back the last ten years, if he continues that mark, it would be it would be the highest 
percentage in the last 10 years. The two that have gotten close were in 2020-2021 season with Miles Turner at 5.5 and then Mitchell Robinson in 18-19, 5.7. You look both of those players, I think Turner is the closest to doing what Jaron does from, from the sh- a shooting perspective, but when you go down the list and you see names like Hassan Whiteside, Kyle O'Quinn, John Henson, and JaVale McGee leading the league in block percentage, and you think about the role those players play yep. in comparison to to Jaron's role and how important he is on both sides of the ball, it shows you just how impactful he is for this Grizzlies team. Again, only in his early 20s still, and, and hopefully gets to the point in terms of minutes played where he is going to he, – he's definitely going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation come year and barring any more significant time missed. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, this is going to be a Jaron Love Fest. So he, uh, because I just think, He's one of the most misunderstood players. I, you know where where our tickets are for the Grizzlies. I sit around some people, and there's uh, they're not there every game, but there's some people that sit behind me that are just constantly complaining. I feel like about Jaron on offense. They don't like it when he shoots threes. They're frustrated, uh, you know, at, at sometimes him missing some shots inside. And and I think my frustration is one is we continue to just discount how unbelievable he is defensively, just like those numbers you put. I mean, historically good defensively. And especially when watching these two games, they were similar to the previous games, this winning streak we've had. Teams just don't want to go into the lane. I mean, that like even on fast breaks, people are going and they see Jaron anywhere around and they just stop and pull it back out. I mean, it is uh, – it's crazy. And, and, it, and especially like with a Magic team, I mean, you have – Powell Banchero, you have Wendell Carter. Like these are not uh, just kind of random backup forwards that Jaron's playing against. These are guys who are putting up real numbers, who are good players, who just aren't even looking to score inside at all uh, against Jaron, and and it's incredible. But but I'll just say, I just think a lot of it so much is confidence. I think that uh, him trying to figure out what it looks like in our offense because our offense is very jaw dominant. It's very Bane dominant when he's good. Uh, we have a, a very willing shooter in Dylan, and I just think that people forget that big men develop offensive games later. He's still only twenty three. He's figuring out, but man, when he when you see it click with him, I mean, it, uh, what I was excited about honestly was just the amount of lobs that Jaw threw to Jaron. Him getting behind the defense. Uh, you know, plays that we see from Brandon a lot, honestly, plays, plays that we see from Zaire coming from the corners a lot. I just think that could be a huge weapon uh, because that's one thing that Jaron really has mastered how to use his athleticism. 
uh, on defense, but he is still, I think, learning. Uh, I don't think he's touched it. What what his athleticism can bring on the offensive side of the floor, and and one thing that you know the kind of misunderstanding of Jaron was perfectly summed up by TNT. Uh, another 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 funny moment uh, Thursday night after all the games, uh, they were showing the Grizzlies highlights, and Charles Barkley was doing his thing, uh, which you know again I love Charles. Uh, but he was saying how, man, Jaron's the key to the Grizzlies. Look at him. And, and he was commenting on all the, you know, the highlights they were showing of him dunking it and stuff. And, like, that guy just needs to get inside more. He needs to stop shooting threes. And then, like, it's just so funny because then without me missing a beat, Ernie Johnson just kept talking. And he was like, you know, yep, the Grizzlies, the number one, uh, the number one team in the paint uh, and points in the paint this year. You know, and just kept going. And I just – the. I just think it's funny because I think it's one of those what we see with our eyes and what's really going on is uh, the same thing with the rebounding numbers. We're like the best rebounding team in the NBA. We are the best team at points in the paint in the NBA. And people want to complain that Jaron takes too many threes and that he doesn't rebound enough. Well, if you look at our team, our team dominates the paint and our team dominates the boards. And you can't just say, well, you know, and so it's like almost like people are saying, well, I wish we dominated the paint more and I wish we rebounded even more. Well, maybe the concept and Jaron being able to shoot threes allows us to be a big points in the paint team. Maybe the fact that Jaron, you have to deal with Jaron on the boards, you know, and we have Steven Adams and we have good rebounding guards like Conchar uh, allows to be a good rebounding team because it's not just that, uh, because I often think that Jaron's similar to Gasol to me, which is, uh, Gasol never had huge rebounding numbers, but part of that was because he just he let his other he let his front court mate grab a lot of rebounds, and he kind of just sort of boxed out and let guards grab rebounds too. And I think Jaren's in that way. But all that said, that was a long ramble. But but all that said is, I just think Jaren continues to be misunderstood. Uh, one big stat: Jaren uh, is the second best plus minus player in the NBA. Uh, if you go by game, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting is in here in a couple weeks, Jaron is going to finally get enough games to show up on all these per game metrics. I mean, all these like, you know, per game metrics on the NBA. And all of a sudden, Jaron's going to be top five of all these different char- characteristics. And I'm just waiting for all of a sudden all the articles. Hollinger was already on it this week with an article on Jaron. But, but I just think that uh, like – it's like hard for people to figure out because we love Jaw and obviously Jaw's amazing, but only Nikola Jokic, his team only only uh, he makes his team better when he's on the court than Jaron Jackson Jr. And to really and it's like and it's really and he's like crazy um, and we saw that you know you you, you texted uh, us about how supernatural Jokic just is right now, but Jaron's second and then it's not close when you get to like the third player like Jaron is kind of up there and it's amazing to me that that he just isn't getting talked about as much as he is just how good he's been and the fact is like when we see a game like against the Magic. Like, I think that is what he could be on a more regular basis uh, coming forward. The guy's only 23. He's still a couple years away from his, you know, entering his peak. Anyway, I, I could go on and on about the Jaron and my love fest. You know, uh, could be the first player ever uh, to have to average three blocks, one three-pointer, and one steal. 
uh, in the NBA history. I mean, these kind of things, uh, you know, you throw out these kind of stats, but it's a big deal. And it's really cool that we have him on an amazing contract. Uh, and anyway, so it's exciting. Nine straight games with multiple blocks. Like you said, one of the things I had written down was the rim running. That's a new part of his offensive game that we haven't seen before, especially when you pair that with Steven Adams, who's going to plant himself in the paint. You're not going to see any rim runs from Steven. Uh, but that, and you look at the first plays of the game, more often than not, they're going to be run. Jaron's going to have a back screen, and he's going to go to the rim, and Jaw's going to throw it up there if it's, if it's available. So just keep your eyes peeled for that first play of the game. And then when you look at the end of the game, in the Magic, that's, that was the ceiling basket was it was a an alley-oop to Jaron and so you're yep. seeing them then prioritize that on offense more and more especially in in really specific sets and you referenced the Hollinger article I just wanted to read one small section the average for NBA uh, in percentage of twos made is 54.4 percent Memphis as a whole is forcing opponents to 50.1%, so four, about four percentage points better than average. When Jaron is on the floor, that number dips to 42.5%. That is a huge gulf between those numbers. When Jaron is off the floor, um, I already mentioned that, about the 50%. And then when Jaron is on the floor, offensive have a, have, excuse me, offenses have 1015 offensive rating that is six points better than the leading defense as a whole which is now the memphis grizzlies but at the time of of uh hollinger's writing the article it was cleveland so you're just you're seeing the on-off metrics like we've never seen before from a player uh of this of this magnitude and it's special it's special and it's worth the time that we've spent in this podcast focusing on it for sure and and you know and and I know a lot of people listen to us. Don't get into the blogosphere, but but like across multiple podcasts, across multiple multiple media platforms, the tr- the the sort of uh, you know the the sort of uh, sort of the 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 cultural thing to talk about this week was how crazy the offenses were, how upscoring is. How all these huge uh, people putting up 50, 70 points, the league average scoring-wise being way up, uh, pace and space, just defenses have no idea what to do with it. And the Grizzlies have the number one defense, and the Grizzlies have the number one defensive player uh, in the league. And I just think that's huge uh, that we, in in a sense, we're zagging when the rest of the NBA is is zigging, that there's this sense of – of like all the offense is going up and the Grizzlies are winning with defense. And I just think that is something that's really exciting as we look at, you know, the rest of the West and as we look at uh, our, our chances going into the playoffs and things like that, that, that we just have this unbelievable defensive force in the middle. Is there any question about MVP of the week for this week? <laughs> there is not. I think the, we both have Jaron Jackson Jr. We up do. At the top. We do. But I will say uh, one more just like MVP moment, though, just want to throw out for the Magic game because it was one of my favorite moments of the season was like three, four straight possessions the Magic had. Steven Adams just, uh, I mean, total moving screen, but like not in this like obvious why aren't the refs calling away, but in a very veteran, cool way, you know, uh, basically emphasized the most with Steven literally just clearing out 
both uh, Powell Banchero and and Wendell Carter Jr. and I think Mo Bamba just clearing them out to get Ja layup to where all three of them, like the entire Magic team was screaming at the ref about Steven Adams uh, moving screen. And at the very next possession, so they're like walking the ball up. Uh, Wendell Carter is yelling at the ref uh, as they're dribbling the ball up, goes in to get post position. He basically sort of taps uh, Steven Adams as he's trying to post him up, and Adams throws out the biggest flop ever and grabs an offensive foul call, Wendell Carter Jr. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. Carter wasn't even – he just took off his uh, glasses and kind of laughed uh, that Adams got him. And I just thought that was a perfect Steven Adams moment of just his ability to be a, just a physical wreck but then know uh, how to kind of grab that, uh, that flopping foul on Wendell Carter Jr. So I love that. That was, that was my MVP moment of the week. But obviously, yeah, Jaron, MVP of the week, he just dominated this week. And, uh, and it was kind of that – it was sort of a, a coming out party as far as just how good he is. Um, it's sad to me that he has to be really good offensively for us to really, really – uh, appreciates just how good he is because defense, like we've always talked about, is 50% of the floor. But, yes, dominating week from Jaron. Shows you. Jaron and Dylan, uh, two of the top, I would say, seven, eight defenders so far this season, how the eye test on offense is not always indicative of their impact on the floor because both of those players can be frustrating to watch yeah. offensively at times, and, and yet you're looking at the impact they have. Um, last note on the games from this past week, Ja did fall on that hip that he injured earlier in the season in the first quarter mm. of the Orlando game. He made it through the game, was noticeably slower at times, and yet was still able to close it out. So um, kudos to him, but the, yeah. the part of it, the part of it to me that is, is a little nerve-wracking is just, again, Jaws' reliance on athleticism, and I hope that this does not necessarily lead to to more time missed unless it's intentional and there's an opportunity of, in this upcoming week potentially to have Ja maybe take a game off if he needs it. Uh, but luckily the Grizzlies have rested in, in between games. Granted, they're about to enter this the third set of back-to-backs, but they have had multiple days off in between each, so hopefully everything's fine there. All right, looking ahead, let's spend a couple minutes on the Western Conference, and then we'll talk through trade season kicking off yeah. here soon, and we'll finish it out by previewing the upcoming games. So let's talk yeah. the Western Conference. John, what are you seeing from there that's worth noting? Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely feel like as much as everybody talks about sort of parity and that the the West, uh, you know, that there's crazy amount, like the, the team that's 13th is so close to, to being like third or fourth. And I still think that's, that's the case. I think the sixth, you know, six and 13 are all very bunched up. Uh, but I will say I, I do think that, you know, us, the Nuggets and the Pelicans have definitely sort of separated ourselves uh, from the teams below us. And, and the fact that the Mavs are up there in fourth when, when – uh, you know, Luke has been unbelievable. Um, even me as kind of a Luca hater can will admit that he's been unbelievable. But nobody thinks they're like a great team. I mean, everybody thinks they're kind of a very average uh, NBA team, and the metrics all kind of point that out as well. That I think the top three has kind of separated itself. Unfortunately for the for the Pelicans, and we saw this last night against uh, against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it, as long as, as Zion's out, and it looks like he's going to be out for a while, and we don't know when Ingram's going to be back, 
Um, and honestly, with Ingram, with with who they have, and with Ingram, they were still a play-in team last year. Uh, I feel I expect them to kind of start to to go down. I also think their their schedules has a lot of tough games in it as well. But I mean, Zion is going to be reevaluated in three weeks for a hamstring strain, and that's not that's similar like to what we have with Bain, which isn't he's not coming back in three weeks. In three weeks, he's going to be reevaluated. So I expect that to be a four to five week injury, and it's hamstring, and it's Zion who weighs like three hundred pounds. Uh, and who like you know who who wants to be able to move that uh, with force, and so I think the Pelicans are going to probably fade, and I I really do think that at least on the top, it really is going to be us and the Nuggets uh, kind of battling it out for the one two. Um, I think the Nuggets have been home a lot recently, and so it's going to be interesting to see once they kind of go out on the road here shortly uh, if they can kind of keep it because they've been dominating at home. I mean, they I keep waiting, I keep wanting them to lose uh, as we go on our win streak, and they keep winning. So, so right now that looks like that. But then as far as that, the bunches. I mean, it's funny because we and I did. I'm, I was sadly made fun of the Warriors and with the Steph injury, uh, but that crazy home re- road split, and they almost perfectly timed Steph Curry's injury to have this huge home streak. I mean, it's still upsetting. I mean, you know, I'm trying to still get past it that we, that that we were the team that should have definitely beaten them uh, when they were at home. But, uh, but I, you know, honestly, I'm starting to wonder if the Warriors aren't going to creep up to three, four, uh, if, if Steph can come back pretty soon, Uh, which is crazy because I think at the beginning of the year, all of us thought that the Nuggets, us Warriors, we're going to be kind of three of the teams, and it looks like that might actually be the case. I don't know what you think, uh, but it's weird. I still think, you know, I don't know. I still don't totally trust the Warriors. I need to see them see, win some road games, uh, but it does seem like it's kind of us and the Nuggets now. Yeah, I agree with you. Notably, the Grizzlies and the Nuggets both now are at exactly 500 in their away records. They're both 10 and 10. Nobody in the West has even close to that. I mean, the closest is like within three. Well, I will say this. The Kings are nine and nine. So they're also uh, the same on their away record. But everybody else is at least two games uh, below average in that respect. The Clippers and the Suns both have lost five straight. And the Suns are in a bad spot now with Devin Booker missing. Uh, What looks like it's going to be a month. And then you're seeing teams like the Timberwolves and the Lakers get a few wins yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and pile those up, which I don't totally trust that either no. uh, because they're they're having to rely, especially in the Lakers case, on just superhuman efforts from LeBron. And then the Mavericks, too, just tend to find themselves in a lot of clutch moments. And yes. they do have Luka, and say what you will about him, but in the last five minutes of games, it's hard to, to find anybody – that you would take above Luca in those moments, he tends to turn it on. Granted, I don't I still don't think it would be fun to play with him, but you got to give right. him his flowers in that respect. So I, I think you could see if if the math averages out, maybe the Mavericks falling if they if they experience more clutch, I guess uh, yeah. regression. If, right. And then you could see, I, I agree with you on the Warriors. I am worried about them. I never would count the Warriors out based on their right. starting lineup and how impactful how it, it has been on on-off. Yeah. And so they just have a great starter starting group. And I'm, I'm just not... I'm not worried about really anybody below that. When you look at the Clippers, no. Blazers, Suns, no. Jazz, the, Timberwolves, Lakers. I mean, the Clipper, Clippers in the playoffs, maybe. But even then, I, don't I just know, don't man. trust I, a team that doesn't the, play together. Yeah, I mean, they they... 
so they don't play often. You know, they rest their they rest Paul and Kawhi a lot. So they have a big national game against the Nuggets. And this like to me, these are the kind of the circle moments where they have a huge game in Denver. It's the first Thursday night TNT game of the year, big deal. They come in and just totally no show. I mean, down by like forty. <laughs> I mean, so no-showed that Ty Lu didn't even start uh, Kawhi and Paul George at the beginning of the third quarter. Like, he called it. He waved the wide flag. And then they played last night. Uh, the Clippers played, but because it was a back-to-back, even though Kawhi had only played 11 minutes and Paul George, like, 13, they rested them. And it's just uh, – it's this weird – I, like and you know again I'm not like a karma guy but I do think you know I, I've always been kind of anti tanking but I I think when you just say the regular season doesn't matter at all uh, I, I just teams do not win that way you can't just care about only uh, April to June it just doesn't happen and so I'm I'm starting to really wonder about them because they, it just feels weird. Uh, like it's just it's a weird it's a weird team. I don't know what to only, do. With the and they're only they're eleven weird. and eight at home. It's not as if they have some home court advantage, which the Clippers no. never have. In that it's just respect, it's just weird. I mean, you know, I think if like the Grizzlies matched up with them, like as the four or five seed or something, we were the one seed, and like obviously I would be nervous just because uh, Paul George and Kawhi have a lot of reps, have a lot of experience. Kawhi's a winner, but it's just it's hard to. I just don't see a team can beat. You can't. There's just no. The NBA doesn't have a history of a team being average uh, and kind of mediocre in the regular season and then being awesome in the playoffs. It just doesn't happen, which is, you know, another reason why, for me, why I do like us against the Nuggets. I mean, obviously, I've picked us against the Nuggets, and I'm always optimistic. But but the metrics, you know, and the computer numbers are still a little uh, skeptical of the Nuggets, like their defense, uh, their net rating. There's a lot of stuff about the Nuggets that just tell me um, – I don't know if we can continue, whereas, like, we're doing what we're expected to be doing. Um, you know, like those expected wins, if you look at cleaning the glass and stuff. The Nuggets have, like, three and a half more expected wins than they're supposed to have, whereas we're, like, actually, we should be have won one more. And so I say that to say there's kind of a four or five game difference with the computers, which say, like you said, sometimes Luka is just so amazing that they don't regress and they just stay a clutch. The Mavs would stay a clutch team the same way. It just seems like with if things even out, the Grizzlies should kind of put a little bit of space between them and the Nuggets. But for sure, the two those two teams are putting, I think, space between themselves and the rest of the Western Conference. The only two big stories from the Eastern Conference to me are that the Nets, they're 9-1 and mm-hmm. in their last 10. They've really been trending in the right direction, which is scary. And then you have the Celtics, who are, who are very vulnerable at this point in the season. They're not as invincible. So really, you're seeing, to me... There's no great team, and that right. any of these teams can get hot and go on a run, but also any of these teams can lose on a night-to-night no. basis, no matter who they're playing. So that's a great. It's a great time to be in the Grizzlies' position where you have you have the tools potentially to go all the way, and I think that's a proper segue into our next discussion, which is the trade season opening up. You've started to see more articles, more podcasts related to trades upcoming. And I think it's a very important topic for the Grizzlies this season because you're going to see a divide open up, I think, between those who say it is time to cash in the chips right now to those who say, look where we are without the players that we theoretically be trading for. We're already at the top of the conference. We already feel that we can beat anybody 
So what do we do? Now, just to open up the discussion, in terms of assets to trade, we have all our future first, plus the 2024 Golden State pick, which is top four protected. The main player you're going to see in all these deals that are going to be proposed is Danny Green. And that's because he's a $10 million contract expiring this season. He hasn't played yet. He said in a couple interviews he's hoping to come back around the All-Star break. It's notable that the All-Star break is a little bit more than a week after the trade deadline. And so what you're saying is you're not going to see Danny Green on the floor before the trade deadline. I think it's notable last season we had Kyle Anderson who was expiring. We had a melting contract at $8.8 million a year. We had Culver who wasn't playing. He was a $6 million deal. He had Tyus who was expiring at $7.6 million. So you're looking at about $30 million to work with in trades. And this season, notably, you were only looking really at 10 in that Danny Green contract, plus all your assets in terms of draft. So if you're really going to try to go out to get somebody who I think can be impactful from a starter level, you're looking at including Zaire Williams or Dylan Brooks or Tyus Jones, much less Xavier Tillman to a deal like that. What do you think so far in terms of philosophy moving forward yeah. for the Grizzlies and, well, and moving into trade season? I mean, I am – so uh, because we talked a lot about this in the last podcast, I do think um, the Grizzlies are willing to make a deal if it's there. But I also think they're not going to mortgage the future. Um, they like who they have. Like So I think kind of going in, the front office believes, I think, that we can win a title with the team we have right now. Like if breaks happen, we could win a title. Uh a lot of things have to go right. Um, and I think for them it will be, uh, you know, does this trade increase our chances to, be, to win a title this year and not hinder, you know, future years? I think that's, you know, not put like, not be a, you know, because win now, I think we can make a win now as in win this year trade, but we're not going to do an all-in kind of desperation win now trade uh, like some other teams have done. Like, that's not what we're going to do. And so and so I think the first thing to look at is kind of what you're talking about. And and to me, all signs point to the fact that we're planning on re-signing Dylan Brooks in the offseason, that we see him as a core part of our team, and that the only way we would trade Dylan is for a KD-like – I mean, honestly, for KD. I mean, I don't – because I just don't see other people out there. I, you know, Paul George, I mean, I, you know, I don't know who would become available, but I just think from the reporting you hear, from just the way the team talks about him, from like what we talked about last week with who he can guard, I just think Dylan Brooks has almost – he's not quite – where Bane, Jaron, and Jaw are as far as sort of untradeable and like part of our core going forward. But he's he's like 1A. If, if they're all ones, he's like 1A. And so in that sense, to me, the big, uh, the big kind of starter level type trade is less and less like, I mean, very minuscule. And of course, you have to also throw in the fact that just like, with the parity around the league, we just don't know what players are going to be available because there's still teams like the Utah Jazz, the Raptors, and all other teams like that, uh, the Bulls, that we don't know if they're going to make players available or not. Like, they might still rather go in and try to be a play-in team, try to be a playoff team. So so all that said is, I think, uh, while we're going to talk about it, and I think it's very interesting to talk about, I do think it a lot of things have to go right, I think, for us to make, uh, especially to make a big splashy trade that would change people's views about us. So it feels like more and more it's 
no trade, uh, see what we have in Danny Green, or make a trade on the margins that like shores up our bench, improves our shooting, something like that. So the one area to target is the wing rotation because you look at Bain yeah. and Brooks and they're solid. After that, you have a lot of question marks. You have John Conchar right. who hasn't necessarily shown he can be a guy in the playoffs. You have Zaire Williams who's super young still, super raw. And then you have the rookies and Roddy and Ravia, And that's who's backing up your, your wing rotation. And so that's where you start to get into the ideas of who would you go out and get in the range of salary that you're willing to actually deal. And again, that that is the the assumption would have to be if they're trading Danny Green that they feel whatever they're getting in return would by by best measure is going to be better than what Danny Green could potentially give you on the floor cuz he flit, fits right in to that slot behind Bain and Brooks. And so there's a good chance that the front office just thinks he's going to play better and whether or not he will is obviously a question. But you're looking no. at my number one is Malik Beasley, who's on the Jazz right now, making 15.6 this year. He has a team option for next year around 16. I would give up Danny Green in an, in an unprotected first because you're going to think that this first-round pick next year that the Grizzlies have is going to be in the mm-hmm. late 20s. Like That's the deal I would make if you just said you have to pick just one. Yeah. But other candidates that I'm looking through, Alec Burks, Gary Harris, Alex Caruso, Jay Crowder, and Cam Reddish. Those are the guys that I have on my list. I would say Mm -hmm. for Crowder and Reddish near the bottom of the list, since those are expiring contracts, I would probably only send like a second to get those guys. And then the rest of them, you could talk me into protected first. But they're, I mean, Beasley is the one that I would circle, like I said. The rest of them still, I mean, they have their own question marks. Granted, you have yeah. team control with Burks, Harris, and Caruso after this year, so you could you could shore up your wing rotation in that way. But when you look at the guys like, you know, OG and Anobi, who we've mentioned a ton, you look at um, Eric Gordon, Bojan Bogdanovic, those guys, you're, you're going to have to put Zaire Williams, who's making between 4 and $5 million this year, or you're going to have to put a guy like Tyus Jones because we're both yeah. assuming, I, I'm with you, Dylan is not going to get dealt, especially with how he's playing right now. Yeah. Also, you can afford to pay Dylan next year. You, you would still be pretty far under the luxury tax line, even with a, paying Dylan a premium because yeah. you retain his bird rights. You have right. the option uh, t- to keep him on your roster. And the only time it's going to get a little hairy is the season after that when Bain's potential yeah. max extension kicks in assuming that Bain continues to play at the level that we know right. he can play and that's when you start to ask the question that's that's way down the road we're not yeah, even talking way, now right. about this season anymore but there's not a ton of guys like you said I mean the no. Bulls they should blow it up the Knicks maybe uh the Suns are going to trend down and Jay Crowder hasn't played a game he's a big question mark right. Detroit's but that, you know, but, bad. That's, but then Utah's you say that like I mean but like why you know Jay Crowder uh, you know, which is still that situation so weird. Like his, you know, I mean, the reporting is him being put on the bench for Cam Johnson is what got him to say, I'm not coming. Well, he's going to be on the bench for the Grizzlies, you know? And so I don't, and so that would be something that I would be even nervous. And, and like, and I think, and we can talk about it. I mean, by far, and it's not just, I think wing is what we need, but the biggest thing we need is shooting. Because, you know, what we just talked about, we just dominated two teams. 
and shot less than 33% from three in both of those games, still aren't shooting well for the three-throw line. I mean, literally our our offensive weakness, um, which is funny because everybody talks about half-court offense. They're worried about our half-court offense. I actually, you know, my I guess maybe my counter take is I'm not worried about our, our half-court offense because I think we get open shots. The problem is we're not hitting them. We're missing the open shots that our half-court offense creates. Um, and so we need a shooter. And, and so that's why for I, I'm, I'm the same. Like, to me, I'm almost in this place where if Beasley is at all available, it's like, you know, uh, like, I mean, I could be talked into two future first-round picks for him just because I think he fits what we need so well. And, and like, the hope is that Danny Green maybe becomes what Beasley is. Uh, or may, and maybe a slightly better defensive, you know, not quite as good of a shooter, but a better defensive version of Beasley. But you just don't know with that ACL, and so he's worth the risk. Most of the other guys on the on the list that you named, uh, to me, are they good enough in reality uh, to overcome the potential that Danny Green won't be what we think he could be? And I don't know about that. It's more shaky with all those rest of those guys. Beasley's the one that really kind of jumps out at me as the guy to go get, um, honestly. But that's, I mean, to me, because that's all what, like, what we need is a guy who's not just a defensive liability, who can play good team defensive concepts, but who will hit a corner three in a big moment in the playoffs. And that is why Danny Green seems perfect. But, again, he's really old and he's coming off an ACL, you know, and so who knows – uh, but but like Beasley t- for me like fits that perfectly, and so that's kind of the guy uh, that I see, and and I just think yeah I, I, I to go back to Dylan I just, we're just not going to trade I just it's I just don't see that happening. Um, he's going to be here. I mean honestly we need to see him guard Luca, but if he guards Luca at all well, he basically that means we have a guy who can guard the best players on all our West sort of uh, teams that we're worried about. You know Jamal Murray Zion. Steph Curry, uh, you know, Luca's the one guy uh, that I just haven't – like, weirdly, Dylan's been injured a lot when we played the Mavs. But uh, all that said, uh, I'm I'm kind of with you in that Beasley jumps out at me. But all those other guys, I mean, like, like you know, Cam Reddish, like on paper, on theory, would be really cool. But, like, honestly, that's what – we're hoping Zaire's a better Cam Reddish. You know, we're hoping, uh, like, a lot of our younger guys will be, will be better than that. They already are in the system, already in the culture – um, you know, similar to Caruso. Caruso, you know, he does have a little bit of experience. Um, one, I just don't see him getting traded. Like, I, I just don't know if he's going to be a guy who's going to be traded. But again, I don't think we need another good defensive player. I think we need a guy who's going to score. And Caruso has a very low usage rate, barely shoots. I mean, he has the same kind of issues, honestly, that Conchar does. Uh, in fact, I think Conchar is maybe a more willing shooter than Caruso. So, I don't know. You want to hear what the deal that chris wallace would do at this deadline <laughs> so to bring back some give some ptsd from past times. he would do danny green xavier tillman cash considerations for duncan robinson <laughs> yes he totally but, would and and i and, and and it would take me about two days to talk myself completely into it because that's what i did with all of his trades Right, exactly. He would be, but I mean, that type of trade is if you're still at a place where you're, you're. I mean, I think the the Heat would have to give up an asset to get to get off yeah. of Duncan Robinson's deal, especially with their cap situation coming up here, and he is not 
I mean, he injured his finger, probably has to have surgery. And so that's one that I was looking at as a, you know, I, I was just going through every team and saying who could be available. Duncan Robinson is one of the worst contracts now in the league. Yeah. And he would be a defensive liability. Granted, he'd be playing on a Grizzlies team that is number one right now. Right. So you could you could hide him a couple places. Oh, I mean, and I totally would talk myself in the fact that Jaron and Dylan would cover up for all of Duncan's issues and sure, he would get, you know, in the playoffs, he, they would just go at him constantly. But we would have, you know, Adams and Jaron and Brandon and like all these good defensive players around him, um, you know, but. Yeah. So uh, that's the one that I circled that was like, <laughs> OK, no, this front office is not doing that. Uh, OG Ananobi, you're going to hear a lot about him. I, mm-hmm. I, like I said, it's it's just with where he is salary wise, he's got an amazing contract, but you are going to have to part with an asset that you deem to be valuable. And it's right. it's basically going to be you're changing a plan that you have laid in the past right. months, years, in order to go a, a an entirely different direction. And then the other challenge is, at this juncture, I mean, I was doing Dylan for OG trades back when we were talking in the summer and before that. At this juncture, you're not trading Dylan OG would have to come off the bench to start. He'd probably close. To have like Jaron, Dylan, and OG playing together would be absolutely filthy to close. But he would have to be content with probably a lower minutes threshold, especially lower minutes threshold than he's playing right now in Toronto. But to the point where he's going to be, you know, a six-man-of-the-year candidate moving forward. But, again, he has to be okay with that. And also the Grizzlies have to be okay with giving up on a guy like Zaire Williams – um, or even right. more so, like a, who, who I know. think you know. Uh, I mean, I, I like I think the Grizzlies think Zaire could be a uh, possibly a better playmaking OG Ananobi in two or three years. I mean, I, you know, I think that's like kind of what would be their hope is a guy who hits standstill threes, can defend a lot of positions, and um, but who like like with what they're doing at summer league can do a little better playmaking than OG can. All right, we knew this was going to be a, a bigger podcast, so let's briefly hit on yeah. Utah and San Antonio. I know you have a guess who for me, and then we'll do – we have our, our – the next two games will round out uh, the last round of 10-game predictions, and so we're going yeah. to then give you our next 10-game predictions after those two yeah. upcoming, and then we'll, we'll close it out. Okay, you got a guess who okay. for me? Yeah, guess who. This player um, – this player, uh, interestingly enough, um, it has increased – his usage by 5%, by far his greatest, his largest usage of the year, but, uh, which is rare in this case, but his efficiency has gotten even better. In fact, uh, he is 99% for his position in points per shot attempt, like that his effective field goal percentage is excellent. Um, So like he's gotten more usage and instead of, and so the more shots he's got, he's gotten even more efficient uh, and better at points per shot attempt. Is it Laurie Markkinen? It is. It is Laurie Markkinen. So, um, which is interesting. And, and not in fact, which is crazy, he's second on his team only behind Walter Kessler uh, for kind of uh, PSA, which you would expect like a big guy who literally just dunks the ball, uh, which is pretty incredible when you think about the fact that Laurie Markkinen is not a guy who just dunks the ball. And he's like a jump shooter, a guy who hits a lot, shot, shoots a lot of mid-range jumpers. In fact, and for him to be one of the most, uh, in fact, he might be the most efficient like wing. It's pretty crazy to think about uh, a guy who was thrown into a trade uh, to the Jazz. So uh, yeah, Utah's, 
Utah's 20 and 21 right now. They're 10th in the West. They've ever regressed from that really hot start, but they're still third in offense. 27th in defense, 11th in net rating, and a large part of that has been due to Laurie Markkinen's really all-star performance thus far. Like I'd be surprised if we didn't see Markkinen on oh. as a reserve in, in the Western Conference all-star lineup. And so Utah, of course, we Grizzlies lost two straight over there, and yep. so we're looking to have some sort of revenge on Sunday. The next night we're playing the Spurs, who have gone – or if they haven't by now, they should go full tank mode. Uh, yeah. They're talking – I mean, Yaka Pirtle is a guy who I would be surprised if he doesn't get traded. Devin Vassell, they're probably going to have to shut down because of a, a, a procedure that he's about to undergo. And De- De- Vassell has been their best player thus far. I've had him on my fantasy team, so I've been reaping the benefits of that. But, of course, another another injury there. Uh, 30th in net rating. They're like 27th on offense, 30th yeah. on defense, 13 and 26, and 14th in the conference. And so – Monday and Wednesday, we're playing uh, the Spurs twice at home. Um, So expecting uh, some wins there. And honestly, hoping hoping that we see a number of minutes for Kennedy Chandler, Jake Laravia, maybe even uh, some some two-way guy call-ups. So yeah. hopefully these aren't close games and we don't have to waste minutes. Right. For our I mean, the, yeah. The, the, honestly, the only worry. I mean, because I, I, I would. The Utah is going to be interesting just because they do play that five-out lineup that seems to give us trouble. So if they're having a hot shooting uh, game, I could see it giving us a little trouble. But this is one where we should take care of business. There, there's potential that we sit like that jaw. That maybe we sit a couple. Uh, John Jaron or something on that back-to-back with San Antonio, which may mean the game's closer just because we are playing like that. It's not, we're playing Kenny Chandler and Jake Laravia in the fourth quarter. We're playing him in the first quarter. So, uh, so kind of look for that. I don't know. I'm hoping not. I'm going to that game, I think. So, so I hope that, I hope that the stars are playing, but, uh, but we'll see, but no, it should be. I mean, I would hope that we could take care of business uh, which is interesting because you know with our ten game prediction to kind of make the transition, you know we are presently six and two. Uh, we both predicted seven and three, uh, so I feel pretty good uh, that. Uh, in fact, now I'm mad that I didn't go eight and two, uh, but uh, but it looks like you know we have these two games. I would hope that we would at least hit our predictions and split them, but uh, but I actually think we should win both of them. I agree. The 10 games after that one, to get into our next 10-game predictions, uh, so the Spurs game on Wednesday is the first of the next 10. Then we go to Indiana. We're home for Phoenix and the Cavaliers, which I'm really excited about that game. It's like a Wednesday night, 8 p.m. game against the Cavs. Then we go on a five-game road trip. So we're playing in L.A. Then we have a back-to-back after that against Phoenix and Sacramento. Then we're in Golden State again in Minnesota. And then the last game of this 10 games is home again, playing the Indiana Pacers. And so a very interesting slate. At first, it starts you know, against some, some teams that you should get wins against. Indiana has been very pesky, uh, playing yeah. above what people expected from them. So we're playing them twice in this stretch, once in Indiana, once at home. Grizzlies, like I said, 500 on the year in away games. I am... Going back to Old Faithful, and I'm going to predict seven and three. I am. If you ask, if you said I could not pick seven and three and had to go with six and four and eight and two, I would actually lean eight and two. And that's because a couple, a few of the opponents, like the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Suns, are all games that I believe the Grizzlies will get up for, and they're going to want to win those games. The ones I'd be worried about 
are the Indiana games, the Cavaliers game at home, and then weirdly enough, like the Kings, of course. Yeah. I'm always going to be worried well, and that, that, and that, that Kings is going to shoot. The second, and that Kings games, I think, a back to back. So it could, could be a schedule loss, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what do you I, think? so, so, so that is, so, um, I, I have written down here seven and three, but if I'm feeling good, eight and two, and I'm feeling good. I just, I talked for 10 minutes about Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, so uh, despite five road games on the West, which is like, we never do well, <laughs> we always, do something, you know, I mean, as we just experienced over the holidays, we, we tend to be weird when it goes to these West Coast uh, road trips. But I'm feeling good. I feel great about the way we're playing. Honestly, like those Suns games, for instance, uh, Chris Paul just went out with a hip injury last night. So it looks like we're probably going to play the Suns, which again, may be worrisome, but we're not, they're not going to have Booker or Chris Paul. They've already caught us once um, uh, with that, with, with, with them playing their scrubs and beating us. So I'm going to go eight and two. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with, I'm going to lean into the optimism. So you go seven and three, uh, which is old faithful, um, which honestly is showing. I think that that's kind of where we are. We're a seven and three type team, I think. But uh, but I'm going to say eight and two. I'm going to say we put it together. I think that we're these last two games made me feel like we're in professional win mode over uh, sort of look at you know kind of uh, no show mode. So I'm hoping we 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 have these good games, and I think I feel like we're going to have focus. But from here to the all-star break uh, because yep. I feel like we, we get, I think our players know that the, the Western conference and honestly, maybe the overall one seed is there to grab these next couple weeks. Cause a lot of other teams are struggling and, uh, and we're reasonably healthy, uh, you know, especially if Bain can start playing some of these back to back games. So anyway, so that's what I would say. Eight and two. Trade deadline still a month away. All-Star a little bit after that. Remember to vote for your Grizzlies to make the All-Star squad. Email the show, grizzdenpod at gmail.com. Check our website out, grizzden.com, for some merch. We have some, some new stuff coming down the pipe, so we're excited about that. For John, I'm Will. We will talk to you next week then.